So when I was in high school and college, the main priority for me was to be the life of the party, be the center of attention. And I always wanted to get out and make money. You know, I saw all these rich people and I thought, you know, these people are happy. They're going on all these extravagant trips. They have nice houses and all these things. And so I kind of hitched my wagon to people like that. Come to find out they weren't always the happiest people. You know, they had, you know, issues that, you know, maybe I didn't see. I just saw the goodness of it. I filled my life with work, you know, trying to keep up with the status quo. Basically, that led me down a path of giving into some peer pressures that really had a negative effect on my life for a long time. The more I did that, the worse off it, it made me, the worse shape I got into. Just got to a point where I was burnt out, and uh, that's a pretty bad feeling. You know, there was a void there, and I just never could put my finger on what that was. I didn't think much of it, but my wife uh, started coming uh, to church, and I would stay at home. I hadn't talked to God in a long time. Tonight, I'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There's nothing more backbreaking than the work of a commercial fisherman. It's challenging today. It was almost unbearable in the days of Jesus. And if you weren't very good at it, which he wasn't, it was mentally debilitating as well. You won't find the story of him in the Gospels, although he had been trained in commercial fishing, ever catching anything. It's an ordinary day that turns into an ordinary night of getting skunked in his little boat when the man named Jesus comes. And with the word, his fishing luck changes. And he's invited to come and follow him and learn a new kind of fishing. His motives weren't pure when he followed Jesus. Whose really are? Not yours, not mine. He started where most of us started. 
wanting something from this, this man named Jesus. But it began a three-year love affair where he built a respect and a love for him like he'd never experienced before. Oh, it had its ups and downs. You know, think about Jesus when you begin a relationship with him. He loves you enough to tell you the truth. He'll start sanding the corners of your rough edges. And he was impetuous at best, aggressive all the time. He's the only person in the Bible that God called Satan when he told him to get behind him. But at the end of that three years, his heart was broken like he never thought it could be broken when all of his dreams were nailed to the tree outside the city. He experienced the lowest of lows and then the highest of highs when Christ was resurrected from the dead and shared a meal with him at the Sea of Galilee. But the roller coaster started to go down again when Jesus said, I'm about to leave. He had no understanding in the fullness of what Jesus was about to do. But his world gets turned upside down. When these words of Jesus turn from mere words of encouragement to a prophetic voice in his life, and the counselor, the friend, the comforter, the person of the Holy Spirit comes in power. And all of a sudden, This impetuous, aggressive, non-fishing dude named Peter finds himself leading a movement. He's got a tiger by the tail, make no mistake about it. Thousands of new converts. Thousands of Jews who are trying to unlearn centuries of learning about religion being about checking boxes and filling out, filling, uh, fulfilling contracts and understanding the covenant of a new covenant in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only been 80 days since Jesus has ascended into heaven, but it seems like a lifetime to Peter. It's funny we had time we could delve into the unifying power of opposite personalities that are connected by a mission that has an eternal value. I mean, you've got John, the contemplative, quiet, philosophical one. And everywhere he goes, he's with Peter, this hurricane in a jar who the Spirit is beginning to shape because God doesn't change your personality. He transforms your character. And he's beginning to transform his character and leverage it for his good with his boldness and unwillingness to back down. And it was a day just like any other day. 
The sky was not bluer. The birds weren't singing louder. There were no trumpet blasts from the sky or words written in the clouds. Make no mistake about it. If you hear nothing else I say this day, hear this. It was a day like any other day. Because many of us find ourselves striving for the extraordinary and missing the, ordinary, the potential of the extraordinary in the ordinariness of our existence. I'm about to give out with people whose vision of making a difference for God is filling the stadium with people and preaching to hundreds of thousands when God may be asking you to help your neighbor move her refrigerator. And like you, I have found myself missing the God thing because I'm looking for the next thing. Can I talk to you about that for just a minute? If you've got a journal that you're following along with, get your pen, get your notepad out. If you're a If you don't have one of our journals, get one afterwards. But if not, grab a card or a scrap of paper. I talked about this at 10K Tuesday a couple of weeks ago at our Difference Makers gathering, our service together. I want to flesh it out just a little bit with you this weekend that every one of us have a sphere of influence. Most of us miss this sphere of this circle represents our sphere of influence and many of us miss our sphere of influence because we want somebody else's sphere of influence right most of us miss what god wants to do now because we're waiting for someday to come most of us, most of us are looking for a platform and god is looking For someone who has the guts to live out their purpose in the circle they have in this moment. It's what Jesus meant when he said, how in the world can I give you big things if you're not faithful with the little things? This circle, your sphere of influence, it's one thing we all have in common. All of us live in a house, a neighborhood, a dorm, an apartment complex. All of us live somewhere, and more than just a place that we live, it is the sphere of influence where God has divinely placed us to bring his kingdom to bear. In that neighborhood, in that dorm, I don't care what it is, form or fashion you live in, there are people around you. And this is your assignment, this moment in time in life. Is your neighborhood, your dormitory, your apartment complex. That's the other thing is everybody in everybody hearing the sound of my voice, even those of you who are young and living in your parents' house, are all dependent upon this. Right? right? I mean, either you have a job, or thank God a day is coming when you're gonna get a job. And in your, voca- in your vocation, in your ministry, because it is ministry, you have that job not simply because you're educated, because you're fortunate, because you work hard on anybody else. You have that job because the God divinely placed you in that circle in this moment in time to bring his kingdom to bear. You are not a mechanic. You are a missionary. 
You're not a stay-at-home mom. You hold within you the potential of the kingdom and the king to be a force to be reckoned with in the neighborhood in which you live. We could go on and just let me give you just one other quickly. The other thing we all have in common is we all have relationships. Most of us have relationships that are built around common interests, right? There was a season of our lives where Mike and I and our closest friends were the other parents of kids in our kids' nursery school or elementary school or my kids playing sports in high school and whatever it is, common interest. You you have these relationships. And these are more than simply relationships. These are places God has placed you so that you might bring the kingdom to bear. And everybody's waiting for the big thing outside of this circle. And God's greatest work is to be done through you in this place. And because we are Westerners who tend to separate everything. We think of our work life, our church life, and our home life. And what you have is one life. And it's in the ordinariness of your day that God is poised to do the extraordinary. It's why this story, I think, is so important in Acts chapter 3. Now, if you were with us last weekend, you know that we looked at this story from the perspective of the lame man. We discovered together some things that are true about us that, and about what God wants to do in our lives. But today, as we look at this story, especially from the perspective of Peter, I want to begin with one simple statement. There is nothing on the planet greater than being used by God to advance his kingdom in that circle of your life. Nothing. If you have kids at home, look at me. I've given my life to public teaching, preaching, leading ministry. There is nothing more important on the planet in the last 20 years than my kids find and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not what you see that matters. It's what you don't see that matters. It's what you do in the places nobody sees that poises you for the places everybody's going to see one day. Do you understand that when the prophet came and lined up all of the sons of Jesse and they have to bring the young boy out from the fields, he's, he's an afterthought to everyone. They bring him in. He's anointed as the next king. His name is David. You know, what he, you know what the next thing he did once he had been anointed as king? He went back to the field and he took care of the sheep. Why? Because God was doing something in him in the places nobody could see. Because one day he would walk in the palace where everybody would see. Don't miss the ordinariness of this moment for Peter and John. There were thousands, scholars tell us, in this temple area, coming in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Can I just show you three things that I see about the way they look and operate in their circle that I think can help you and me live a better life? Yep. Okay, just everybody say, yeah, wherever you're sitting right now, encourage me a little bit, all right? So I want, I want to show you three things about this circle. And the reason I want you to draw this circle is because I'm going to encourage you to go home this week and ask God to show you your circle. I don't want you to draw pictures. I want you to put names in your circle. They got two cubes over. 
The kid sits three seats down from you in science class. The neighbor down the street whose dog won't quit barking. The one that it's hardest to love the most. Put them in your circle. Recognize your sphere of influence and begin to ask God to bring his kingdom to bear through your life. I want you to notice this first, though. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Don't miss it. You'll see this phrase in the Greek language all through the life of Jesus, where in crowds of people, Jesus, the Bible says, he would look at him. That, that when you begin to understand that you have a circle, that one of the marks of a better life filled with the Holy Spirit is you start seeing things that have always been there that you've never seen before. Do you know that's possible? Do you know it's possible to go through life seen but never seen over and over and over again? That in the crowd of thousands of people because God loved this lame man and because God loved to use Peter and John and because they were filled with his Holy Spirit, they saw things that nobody else saw. It's one of the most moving experiences of your life when God by the power of the work of his spirit upon you opens your eyes and you begin to see things that have been there all along let's watch this don't break it I should have set it up better. This is a guy who has been colorblind his whole life, and he finally gets a lens, and he sees color for the first time. I think it's a modern-day picture of what you're seeing with Peter and John here in Acts chapter 3. You know how many times they've walked through that temple? How many times they've walked into that temple courtyard with Jesus? Same beggars. Same crippled, same lame, same blind. But now, God's allowing them to see things they've never seen before. 
And if you want to really be used by God, your first prayer needs to be, God, help me see what you see. You know what you'll start seeing? You'll start seeing the pain behind the problems in people's lives. God will open your eyes. God will open your eyes to the people that have caused you the most agitation and allow you to love them in ways you've never been able to love them because you will be able to see the wound and the hurt in their life that's causing them to act out in that way. You'll lose a little bit of your judgmental spirit, your holier-than-thou attitude when God opens your eyes and you're able to see people like Jesus saw people. It's what enabled him to say to a woman caught in the very act of adultery, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Because he was seeing something that nobody else was seeing, which positioned him to do something nobody else was doing. It's a different way of seeing. I think what convicts me the most, though, in this story is this verse when Peter says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What I would say is the difference between a good life and a better life is most of us stop here. You will never live the life God has intended you. You're focused on what you don't have and not focused on what you do have. Most of us stop with silver or gold I don't have, so... Sir, I can't help you, but because I have the authority of the name of, of Jesus, I'm going to give you something that only God could give you. If you are breathing, living, talking, and you have surrendered your heart to the life of Jesus Christ, imperfect or not, you have more authority than you think you have. You more, have more power than you think you have. You have the innate supernatural ability to bring the spirit that lives in you to raise the temperature in your circle just by showing up. But you've got to move from an attitude of, here's why I can't. Here's why I don't. As soon as this happens, I will. As soon as this happens, I will. And understand, look at me, everybody. You have exactly what you need to do, exactly what God has called you to do in this moment in time in your circle. that I think half the battle to a better life is believing that God wants to use you. I love what my friend Bob Goff says. For all you theologians out there, the greatest theology of all is loving people like Jesus loved people. It's being willing to give of everything you are and everything God promises that you will be in this moment in your circle. And then the story says, don't miss it, taking him by the right hand. He helped him up and instantly the man's feet became strong. It was, no, it was a step of faith for Peter, wasn't it? Do you think there was any doubt in him? 
Like, what if this doesn't work? It's the first miracle after Pentecost. It's the first miracle that's been done through Peter into the life of somebody. He watched Jesus do it dozens upon dozens, probably hundreds of times, but there's no recording of it ever happening through Peter before until this moment. Do you think there was a moment when he reached over? Because the man wasn't healed until he reached over, took him by the hand until he stood. Do you think there was a moment of uncertainty? See, I think a better life is living out your calling even when you're not sure of the outcome. But it's interesting the unique language that Luke uses here to talk about Peter reaching over with a strong right hand and pulling this man to his feet. It's the same language used when Peter jumped out of a boat, started walking toward Jesus. And took his focus off of Jesus and put his focus on the wind and the waves. And he begins to sink. Does anybody remember what the Bible says next? With a strong hand, Jesus reaches and pulls him up out of the water. See, I think when I'm in doubt, my default is just do what Jesus did. Like if there's a question in your mind about how you ought to treat somebody else... Just do what Jesus did. The interesting part of the story that we don't have time to go into this weekend is the fact that doing exactly what Jesus did got them in the same kind of trouble that Jesus got into. Which shows me, number one, the validity of God leveraging your hurt for the lives of other people. I don't know who said it. I think I've said this before. I don't know who said it, but the safest place, whoever said the safest place to be in the will of God was either misinformed, uneducated, or just a liar. Sometimes the most dangerous place to be is in the will of God. But I do know this it sent Peter and John into imprisonment and punishment. And the only thing that got them out of it was they looked at these two uneducated men and the Bible says they looked a lot like Jesus. So I don't know where you find yourself this day. But I know this. When you begin to believe that God has divinely placed you in this moment in history, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your place of employment, with your friends, God has divinely placed you there. And when you begin to open up your eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work through you, that you might see things that nobody else sees, they will position you to do things that nobody else does. Because you walk in the authority of Jesus Christ. And when you don't stop at what you don't have, and you operate out of your brokenness, out of your grief, out of your mistakes, out of your pain, and in spite of those things, 
you move forward anyway and you respond the way Jesus did. The kingdom moves forward. And your life may not get easier, but look at me, everybody, it gets better. Because the greatest miracle of all in this story is for the first time, Peter's life is not all about him. Because the thing that I didn't mention in the early part of this story of the three years preceding this day is Peter was his own worst enemy. I don't sense a lot of overabundance of joy coming out of Peter's life. Because always, hey, but Jesus, what about me? But hey, those guys, what about me? But how about this? But what about me? But what about me? But what about me? What about me will destroy your life. At some point, you have to move from God, what can you do for me? To God, what can you do through me? And the time to be used is now. And the place to be used is inside your circle. And as believers, my prayer is that we might get as impassioned, excited about the potential for that as we do about what God might do for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm just grateful so grateful that uh, that you would see fit to use us. I mean, have you, have you thought about that? I mean, that God would see fit to place you where he placed you. That we would have this privilege of living where we live, operating where we're operating, working where we're working, because you placed us there because you believe in us. You see more potential in us than any of us can see in ourselves. And I'm, I'm just convinced in my life that something drastically changes when I move from have to to get to. that when I see the incredible privilege that it is being placed in my neighborhood with that crazy lady across the street that drives me bonkers. And the circle of relationships that you've given me that that sometimes bring me life and sometimes suck some of the life out of me. That the place you've given Mike and I to, to put bread on our table and to give our lives to, that you would see fit to divinely place us here in this moment in time. I just want to say thank you. You want to just take a minute where you are, wherever you're sitting, and just think about those places and just tell the Lord thank you. Gratitude has a way of shattering entitlement. So, Lord, thank you. Some of you, like me, you need to pray this. You need to pray, hey, Lord, like, thanks for the anxiety. Thanks for the depression. 
Thanks for the crooked road. Thanks for the broken relationship that I've had to heal from, that I'm healing from now. Thanks for the self-inflicted wounds because you'll leverage even them. You'll resurrect those things. You'll make something out of us, not in spite of those things, but you'll use those things to position us. I mean, could you thank him even for the hard stuff? Lord, would you just open our eyes? We, we want to be shaped by the life, the heart, the ministry, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see like he sees. Open our eyes, Lord. We thank you for the authority in Jesus you've given us. Somebody right now needs to be reminded of the power in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we say, use us. Find us faithful in our little circles. In the secret places, Lord, find us faithful. Do something in us in places that nobody but you can see. creating us a new heart. I'm like you. Most of my days are just ordinary. Lord, I am glad you delight in the ordinary. You bring extraordinary into my ordinary. So fill us with faith, Lord, about the days ahead. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What happened is she would come home after the service, and she talked about this place like it was, it was just almost like a fairy tale. It's what it sounded like. It almost didn't seem like the place like that existed, so... A hook was was kind of starting to set itself in me, and then the more I came, the deeper the hook got, and then did the pathway, caught back up, you know, on what I'd been missing out on. So I started praying again. I had the opportunity to get baptized, and my wife got baptized here too. Really hard to bottle up the emotions of how I felt. 
it was almost kind of like I had a reunion with God. So what that did after getting them baptized, it just lit a fire in me to want to serve. Whatever I could do to help, I did. So I was given the opportunity to drive a golf cart, you know, and I was like, it's pretty hard to, to mess that up. I can do that. So the good thing that I get to do there is I get to meet a lot of new people that show up here. And so I tell those people, like I would say now, ride through a couple of the services. And then I think what happens is the more you start coming here, the deeper the hook gets in you. And so if you're watching this video, you're in here, my suggestion would be sign up for the pathway. They give you the tools in there to where you have a tool belt and it's really your Bible and the, the 40 um, card that's got the different things that you can refer to. To be here in this environment, just keep coming back to it. It's a, it's a great place to be.